I want you to do something for me right now. I want you to close your eyes, and uh, I know it's Spring Forward Sunday, so don't close them for too long. We're just going to keep it short. But, but I want you to think of a time, the last time you were truly lost, physically lost. It's kind of harder to get lost these days uh, with GPS and phones and all of that, but um, maybe it was going all the way back to being a kid in the supermarket or something, but... Think of a time you were really lost, and I want you to kind of get there emotionally, like remembering sort of the building uh, anxiety, maybe the building coming panic about what that feels like to be lost and, and genuinely not know um, where to go or what to do and, and, and thinking that your decisions in the next few moments um, could have some consequences. All right, go ahead and open your eyes. Rampart Range Road is a road outside of Colorado Springs. I Googled it just to make sure I got the spelling right, and I was going to look up kind of on a map and, and see exactly where it was. And the first hit was that it was on the list of dangerousroads.org. There's a website called dangerousroads.org, and Rampart Range Road made that list. Now, here's why I'm telling you this. Uh, I moved out to Colorado Springs, and um, before I made any friends, I had two friends. It was my four-wheel drive truck and my mountain bike. And when you live a few miles from Pikes Peak, Colorado, those are two super good friends to have. Um, it actually kept me from making other friends because I would just go out exploring with my truck and my bike. And outside of Garden of the Gods, by the way, it's always a good Sunday when, when Dave gets to use the laser pointer. Um, this is where Garden of the Gods is. You've heard of Garden of the Gods? Yeah? Here's Pikes Peak, 14,000 feet, okay? What I do is I take Rampart Range Road, which launched out of Garden of the Gods, and it kind of snakes all the way up here to that reservoir. That reservoir is called Rampart Reservoir. And I would go up there, and I would mountain bike around the reservoir. There was a single track trail that went around it. It sits at 9,000 feet. Absolutely stunning. You've been on a dirt road for, I don't know, 16 or 20 miles, so you're just way out there in the middle of nowhere. Um, well, no one failed, or no one told me, and I failed to, to research this myself, but um, the weather in Colorado, it turns out, is different than Northern California. And I had been born and raised here, so I didn't really, it didn't dawn on me that these kinds of things happened, but I was out there mountain biking, and I was about halfway around this reservoir when um, the skies just got so incredibly threatening in such a short period of time, I couldn't believe it. Um, and it starts coming down rain like I've never really seen here in California before. So I am just absolutely hoofing it, trying to get back around this reservoir to my truck. Darkness is falling, and I get to my truck, and by the time I get to my truck, it's, it's just sheets and sheets of rain. It's been doing that for a while. It's actually dark now. And it's so dark, and it's raining so hard that I got disoriented. I had already been up here maybe once. But I got disoriented as to even where I was going on this road. I wasn't entirely sure which way to go. And you can see from the reservoir, it just heads out into absolute nothingness. Um, and, uh, and I was up there. I had this decision to make. I was, I was praying. I was just saying, God, you know, help me get out of this dumb situation I got myself into. And here was my best tactic. I'm driving on this road, and I spot some taillights. And... And if you've ever been lost and you have a ray of hope enter your story, this is my ray of hope. 
I was like, I don't know where these people are going or if they're lost as well, but I am following these taillights to wherever they take me. And you can see the city of Manitou Springs down there. We spit out a few miles kind of north of Manitou Springs. I was never... I was never happier to hit, to hit pavement than I was that day. I tell you this because um, we, are, we are talking this morning about the idea of tracking the faith. Open your Bibles to Romans, and that's where we're going to be. I take my title from Romans chapter 4, verse 12. And what it says is this, that this counting of righteousness is for those who walk in the footsteps of the faith. Those who walk in the footsteps of the faith. His point being made, this is from last week, is that it wasn't just ritual, it's those who who walk in the footsteps of faith. Following Jesus is about walking as he walked, and this takes some tracking, right? And tracking is this idea of following and pursuing and and trying to figure it out. Sometimes the path gets a little bit foggy. This morning woke up pretty foggy. And that's how the path is sometimes. Sometimes it's really clear and easy to follow. It can feel a little bit like this. You're walking along in some footsteps, and some footsteps veer off to the right or left. And you say, are these the ones going off the narrow path, something that I should not follow, Or is this person taking the track this way, the one who's in the right, and all these other people don't know what they're doing, and you're left with a choice. Which set of footsteps do you follow, or do you carve your own path? And life is utterly filled with these kinds of decisions. It turns out in life that we've not been given Siri-type instructions, right? Point by point, you will reach your destination in .2 miles. Instead of what we've been handed by God are sort of wayfinding tools. We've been given a North Star. We've been given a compass. We've been given a company of people who've walked ahead of us and shown us the path. And that's different than the left and right turns that we're used to maybe in Siri. My prayer today is that you'll have help for your journey. I think you'll be utterly inspired at the faith of someone who's gone long before us And he's part of that great cloud of witnesses that's cheering us on. Now, sort of by way of review, we talked about this over the last several weeks, but um, I don't want you to be deceived. Uh, Any person that you have ever met or will ever meet is a person of faith. Every person you ever meet is a person of faith. There's a weird dichotomy that's put out there right now, which says you're either a person of faith or what are some of the alternatives? What? Tell me. You're a person of reason, not a person of faith. Or you're a person of faith, or you're a person of science, right? So there's sort of this dichotomy set up. What is faith but that which we, we know this piece, we know this piece, faith is that gap between knowledge. Let me say this again. Don't be deceived. Every person you ever meet is a person of faith. It's never, ever, ever a question of if. It's a question of who or what a person places their trust in. We're all people of faith. So how do you gain or lose trust in what you believe in? How do you gain trust or how do you lose trust? I would put out to you that it's, it's this. You test it. 
right? Testing plus time either builds confidence in what you have faith in or it erodes confidence and creates doubt. By way of illustration, I put my trust in a woman years ago. It wasn't blind faith, but it was faith. Vows and rings were exchanged, tests have come, and I'm left today with a deeper and increased trust in my wife because of the years and testing that have come. Now, that marriage, like all marriage, is a pointer to an even greater truth. Think about it. Jesus vowed to be a faithful husband to his bride. Who's the bride? Us. It's the church. It's Christians. He has proven reliable. As promised, the gates of hell have come against Christians, but have not prevailed. And we are left with an even stronger trust in Jesus Christ because time plus testing. Now, you're going to be invited this morning on several occasions to evaluate this question. What do you believe in? And along with that question, what do you believe in it is this. How is it going? Look at your own footsteps of faith. When you look back at the forks in your road, how did you choose left or right? Were there taillights of something that you just latched onto and you followed that person because they seemed to know the way out? How did it turn out for you? Now, Paul's been teaching that the righteousness of God is credited to us freely by grace, that we receive it by faith. And now what he's doing in chapter 4 is this. He's sort of holding up the super Jew as the illustration of it. If Abraham was saved this way, then it ought to settle it for other people following in his footsteps that they're saved the same way. The father of the faith, Abraham. Now, the summary of his teaching is in what I just said. Notice I didn't say this. I didn't say he's the father of ingenuity, Abraham. He's not the father of effort, Abraham. He's not the father of the circumcised, Abraham. He's known as the father of the faith, Abraham. And that's his point in a nutshell. We know what his faith was like because like everyone, Abraham left footsteps, footprints. I want you to do something. I want you to follow along. I'm going to start in verse 13, and I want you to listen to how the promise comes to Abraham and how it comes to us and how very different a promise is from a legal contract. Okay, I'm going to read some verses. You follow along and you listen for that. Romans chapter 4, verse 13 says this, For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world, did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring not only to the adherents of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. Let's pause there. The promise according to verse 16 is for those who share the faith. We looked back at verse 12 that righteousness is to those who walk in the footsteps of the faith. It's not just any faith, it's the faith of Abraham. 
And the faith of Abraham includes a promise that rests on grace. Now, if you try to take anything and add to the foundation of this promise that it, that, that, that it rests on, it always sort of mucks up the foundation, and here's why. It would subject the simple, unconditional promise to the condition of human obedience. Let me give this example. Uh, let's say that... Um, Let's say that Brian Jackson, oh, I was just talking to Brian, he's not in here. I'll pick on Brian anyways. Oh, Brian's there. Let's say that Brian Jackson promises, I had to think of someone in our church with young children. And, and there was such an, it was like the chip aisle at the, at the store. There's so many options, I had to sort of rack my brain. Brian Jackson promises his son a brand new bike. And his son is overjoyed at this news and gets really excited. And the next day, Brian comes and he includes this one condition. He says, Landon, if you'll be a good boy for all this next year, you get the bike. Now at this, what happens to his son's face? It turns from a great big smile to a fallen look. And here's the reason. At a very young age... He knows, I can't do that. I can't be a good boy the whole year. Like, that's way too hard. And so the promise is no longer good news for him. He's crestfallen because his obedience to it could not possibly live up to it, and it would, it would render it null. Now, here's the teaching. God, hear me, God doesn't put that on us. God does not put the condition of Hey, you get a bike for turning one year older if you can be a really good boy or girl for a year. So neither should we put that on us. God doesn't put that on us. It's a promise. It's not a legal contract that we can weasel out of or he can weasel out of. So we shouldn't put that on us as well. The promise rests on grace and is guaranteed. It always has and it always will. I want to spend the rest of our time looking at the very imperfect but saving faith of Abraham, the father of faith. And we'll start in, uh, in verse second part of verse 17. You know, the actions that we take are tangible track records of where our trust lies. You've heard the phrase, the proof is in the pudding? I have no idea what that means, and I chose not to look it up. The proof is in the footsteps. It's not in the pudding. The proof is in your footsteps. Think about this. If you're in a position of hiring someone and you go through the interviews and you read the resume, isn't it most important, this question, you say, what is her track record? When you ask a question like, what is her track record? What you're asking is this. I don't care what she says to me in an interview or how she comes across. I don't care what she's written down and claims she's done. What is her track record? What has she actually done? Why? Because our actions tell the actual story of our lives. So we look at our footsteps, and no matter what we think, what we say, what we pretend, our footsteps tell the track record of our lives. We went through a series a while ago called Step of Yes, and Step of Yes was looking at people from the Old Testament and all these stories that God has seen fit to reveal to us. Many of you sat here um, through this, and part of it um, was this idea that we learn from those who um, every single person in the Old Testament, the relationship was initiated by God. God invited them to go do something. And then what we looked at was that person's 
response to God's invitation. And some people took this remarkable, God invites, and they just took a step of yes. They just seemed to immediately say, I trust that, I'm going forward with God. What we see in some cases is the step of no, right? Think Jonah, right? God invites left, what does Jonah do? He goes right, right? That's, that's, an, that's an opposite response. And then there's the step of maybe. There were a handful that sort of paused and you know, wanted to put out fleeces and test and kind of go, I'm not really sure if I should go left or right. Abraham was one of those that we looked at. And while others had been invited to be a missionary, to build, to fight, to suffer, Abraham's invitation was this. Abraham... I want to invite you to be blessed. That was his invitation. Keep your finger in Romans. Flip over to Genesis, first book of the Bible, Genesis chapter 12, and we'll take a look at it. One of the fun features of this was we had a different child in our church draw a picture of the different characters. And little six-year-old Sadie Cook drew this picture for us. And if you know the story of Abraham... Pretty much nailed it with this. There's a lot of, there's a lot of good biblical theology right here in this drawing. Uh, we've referenced this before, but I want you to see these sort of stars behind us as, you know, part of this family that God promised to Abraham is that, you know, look up, look up and see the stars, right? Go outside of your tent and look up and, and see the stars. And, and to think that one of the stars that he saw that night is you if you're a follower of Jesus today that I am in that lineage of spiritual family that God was promising to Abram. Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 says this, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and and, and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. God initiates relationship. What was Abram doing? He was living in the land of Ur. What was happening in the land of Ur? It's a pagan country. There's no God. He's minding his own business, not seeking God. And we pick the story up, understanding that God was seeking him, even though he wasn't seeking God. Go on to verse 2. And I will make you, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God promises a really big family and land. Here's a question you ought to be asking all the time. Should I trust the Bible? Dave seems to think I should trust the Bible. The pastors and elders and community group leaders at this church seem to. Whoever named the church thinks we should trust the Bible. It's in our church name. But should I trust the Bible? That's a great question, and you ought to come to a conclusion on that. Let me just highlight this. Everything you just read came true. Of all the people who lived in the land of Ur, who are we talking about today, all these thousands of years later? Abraham. Let's broaden the question. Of all the people who've ever lived in any land over any span of time, who's more famous than Abraham? You could probably think of a couple. I would put Jesus up there. But worldwide, right now, would you say that Abraham's name is great? I think so. This came true. This is a promise, a covenant that God made to Abram, changed his name to Abraham, 
And we're living it right now. It doesn't matter what you think about the Bible and about spirituality and what God is like. There's just facts or facts that Abraham's name is great. God came through on this promise. Jew and Gentile are blessed through his bloodline and claim ancestry to him. All right, the rest of the chapter just highlights this man of faith in action. Footsteps tell our story. His footsteps tell his story. You can't see footsteps in advance only by looking back, right? So Abraham, we get to look back on. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a few things to kind of write in, and then each one's going to have an evaluation. Okay, so the first one is this. The footsteps of faith verify that reality is greater than appearances. Reality is greater than appearances. I want you to evaluate something in your own life. And when I say footsteps of faith, don't just pigeonhole this into church talk. It'd be very easy to dismiss this and say, well, I don't believe this anyways. You're a person of faith. You are a person of faith sitting here today. I would challenge you to invite your own footsteps of faith and what you've trusted in and listen to these evaluations. Evaluate this. How would you have chosen different looking back on 2016? How would you have chosen differently if you could look back and changed something in 2016 and, and made a different decision? All of us have answers to this, which means we've all misjudged appearances, right? We've all misjudged things. We've misjudged people. We've misread situations. We've trusted those we shouldn't trust, and we've distrusted those that were telling the truth. So evaluate, how would you change things looking back on 2016? Hear this, faith isn't opposed to reason, but faith is sometimes opposed to appearances. Faith is not opposed to reason, but it is opposed sometimes to the way things appear. Look at verse 17. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations, as he had been told, so shall your offspring be. Don't raise your hand. But have you ever looked in the mirror and seen shortcomings at your body? Let me promise you something. If you haven't yet, it's coming. That is the nature of the aging process, right? The, the heartier amens are those of us who are getting older and older. Abraham can relate to this. He looked at his circumstances. He looked at the appearance, and the word impotent comes to mind. That means powerless, not having power to accomplish. Abraham's a 100-year-old man. His wife, Sarah, is barren. That means she can't have any children. And yet, they are going to be the couple that through their bloodline will father a giant nation. Appearances offer a reality if we are all that there is. That's what appearances offer to us. But Abraham and Sarah walked by faith and not by sight. Faith is an optimism or blind hope. Here's what Paul says of Abraham, that, he, that in hope he believed against hope. Against all hope, 
the kind that ordinary human capability can, can accomplish, Abraham believed in hope. The kind that sees beyond appearances and rests on the power of God who's able to raise the dead and bring something out of absolutely nothing. In hospital rooms around the world, I'm thankful for doctors who offer their opinions and their scans and their tests and their advice. And around the world today, after that reality is presented, there are pastors, Christian brothers and sisters who enter the room and remind of a greater reality. One that goes beyond opinions, hypotheses, our current technology, and the unknown. There's a dear woman who sits in our church most Sundays, first hour, and I can remember sitting with her over at Good Sam for a couple of hours. And she's lived a lot of life. And she just articulated what I said beautifully. And the way that she speaks to doctors with her and her husband's health is thank you very much, very respectful. Thank you for your opinion on that. I'm going to wait and see what God has to say about it. She just has a deep understanding and confidence that reality is greater than appearances. All right, footsteps of faith also verify that testing produces clarity. Testing plus time offers you either more certainty and hope or it creates doubt. Evaluate. How is your faith faring? What is the track record of your belief? You have believed in some things. What is the track record of your life? Just look back and evaluate. Christians are invited to lean more and more heavily on that chair of belief. Remember the way that the missionary uh, translated belief? It's like, it's like putting your whole weight on this chair and really leaning in and sitting on it and trusting it. Christians are invited to do this willingly. And we also have this understanding that as we're invited to do it willingly, some of us are actively pursuing that, some of us aren't. We also know that, that in tangent to that, God tests our faith. God is actively seeking our good, and he knows that testing produces clarity. Look at verse 20. No unbelief made him, Abraham, waver concerning the promise of God. But he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Abraham was not the perfect model of faith. History records how very imperfect this great hero of the faith was. And Paul knew that, and the hearers would have known that. But I like what John MacArthur says. He says this, listen to this. Struggling faith is not doubt. Struggling faith is not doubt. The very fact that Abraham was trying to understand how God's promise could be fulfilled indicates he was looking for a way of fulfillment, although he could not yet see a way. When Abraham was tested by God, he grew strong in faith. When Abraham was tested by God, he grew strong in faith. Why? Because testing produces clarity. Could it be 
that many who name the name of Jesus Christ are fairly hopeless in their faith, weak in their faith, because they're so afraid of testing. They aren't willingly doing it themselves. They aren't willingly leaning in to test this thing. Let me ask you this. What do you do in testing? What is your go-to response? Just think about this. Again, we're not going to have group share time here. Just think about this. Are you an accuser of God? Some people, the moment testing comes into their life, there's just a flood of accusations against God. Do you abandon God? Some people need to repeat their life over and over and over. And if they looked back at their footsteps, they would say, when I am tested, I abandon God. I don't accuse, I just bolt. Do you question God? Do you trust God? Now let me say this. I don't think any one of these answers is mutually exclusive. I think there's probably very few in this room who say, yeah, that's me. I picked that one thing. I'm just saying, what is your gut level response? And is it different today than five years ago, if you've been a Christian for more than five years? Truth is that some who name the name of Jesus, when they are tested, they play God. They play God. And here's what I mean by that. If you're in complete control of life and you can handle your uh, life yourself, how can you say that you walk by faith? That's called self-trust. You're in control. You never let things get out of your control. And so really you play God. And you sort of use the verbiage of Christian faith, but it's not true. Self-trust is not the faith that we're talking about. I believe most of you sitting in this room would answer yes to this. Do you want to grow in your faith? I think that's just an affirmative. I think that's part of why we're sitting here. Here's my invitation to you. You want to grow in your faith? Exercise it. Exercise it. It's kind of like a muscle. If you're afraid to test the chair that you say you believe in, you probably don't trust it much. And maybe more than most, you need to test that chair. This is a part of what older brothers and sisters in the faith can do with younger people in the faith is say, man, fire away, fire your questions away. If God is God, he can handle it. Lean into that chair. There's a family in our midst. By the way, we're getting to this next week in Romans 5. God's inviting you to step into him to trust. If Romans 5, 3 says this, we rejoice in our suffering knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Did you think exercising faith would be easy? Think about it. How much exercise that you ever do is easy? Exercise isn't easy, but it's good, right? We know that. So it is with exercising our faith. You read that verse and go, rejoice in suffering. What? Man, it's good because it produces character. It produces hope. We have a family that's exercising their faith like never before. Jeff and Gina James, you may have been on the city. Um, they took this little step of this. Um, and what was so cool about it is God began prompting their heart. They were a part of our church years ago. They moved away. While they were away, God began to stir this thing about local orphan care and foster ministry. And then they come back, they move back into town, they look up their old church, and lo and behold, God's just doing this sweeping, moving thing here with orphan care. So they took this little step of yes, called yes, 
the government fingerprint me and I'll start the process of becoming an approved foster care worker. And then they opened their home to a home study. And then they went through 27 hours of training mandated by the government to make sure that they're fit parents. And just this last week, two little boys have entered their custody and they are now pouring into these two little boys. I bring up Jeff and Gina James because of this. They did not get here overnight. Little by little, step by step, they have leaned in hard and said, God, you've told us, you've just commanded us not only to care for widows, but to care for orphans. And what does an orphan need more than anything else but someone to call mom and dad, someone to come in and care for them? So we're going to do that. We're going to do that in conjunction with keeping ourselves unstained by the world, the second part of that. So let me just say this. We're going to hear more about this next week. But they have no support friends. We need more families to step up. This share your umbrella metaphor, as they reach over and they provide covering for these two little boys, they are going to get sopping wet as they share their umbrella. You know what they need? They need a church family that will sacrificially and regularly come around them and provide covering for them as well. So this is huge news. It's encouraging to us, and we get to be a part of it. You'll hear more about it next week. Here's the third and final thing. Footsteps of faith clarify or verify our focus. Here's the evaluation question for you. <coughs> what do your footsteps reveal about your focus? Philip Yancey wrote a book called Disappointment with God. Three questions no one asks aloud. He says this line, faith means believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. Faith is believing in advance what will only make sense in reverse. This so ties into this footstep metaphor. This aptly describes Abraham. He was focused on facts about God. Look at verse 20. He Strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. He gave glory to God because he was convinced that God was able to raise the dead and make something out of nothing. You know why it's so healthy for me to go out in nature? We took a hike yesterday with a bunch of uh, 12, 13-year-olds for a birthday party. Had an absolute blast. And there's something about being out in creation, away from man things, to look around and realize God created this stuff out of nothing. This didn't exist, and now it does. Because God has the power to speak into existence that which is not. Abraham believed this. So if you really believe that, think about this, track with me. I don't know Abraham's logical path that he took. But I wonder if his, as he looked at his own body's shortcomings, I wonder if he looked at his beautiful bride of a long time and looked at her body and thought, hmm, is it really an obstacle to a sovereign God that I'm 100 years old and she wears the label barren? If God can create all that we see out of nothing? So, he believed. Didn't just say he believed. He has footsteps to prove that he believed. What was Abraham's focus? It wasn't on himself. 
It wasn't on his wife's opinion of himself, his wife's opinion of herself, or others' opinions of them. It was on God. There is so much instruction here for us, church, to just get our focus on the facts about God. We have far more facts than Abraham did. We have far more to ponder because more time has passed. We have risen Jesus Christ to ponder. We have a complete Bible to read. We have way more people, a cloud of witnesses to talk with and see. Abraham had none of that, and yet he believed. I long for you. In your situation, whatever it is right now, I long for you to absolutely stare at God and God's character. You know what that does? When you lift your eyes and you stare at God, by default, you cannot look down. You can't get sidetracked by appearances. You can't get sidetracked by glances in the mirror at your own shortcomings or your own pride about how capable you are to handle this. You stare at the facts of God. You allow that to be your focus. Your footsteps look different over time. Amen? Unquestioned. And the answer why your footsteps look different, if you were to track back, you'd say, wow, that person is keeping their eyes on something utterly different than most people. Calvin wrote this. Like Abraham, all things around us are in opposition to the promises of God. He promises immortality. We are surrounded with mortality and corruption. He declares he counts us just, yet we are covered with our own sins. He testifies that he is propitious and kind to us. Outward judgments threaten his wrath. What then is to be done? Here's his conclusion. We must, with closed eyes, pass by ourselves and all things connected with us, that nothing may hinder or prevent us from believing that God is true. I think many, if not most people, guide their lives on common sense, popular opinion, gut instinct. That's their GPS. That's the rock that they cling to. Christians are called to simply trust the character and word of God. And by trusting the simple word of God, our lives ought to look different. Our footprints ought to look different. Here's the question that's left for you and I. Do I believe it? Do I receive this as true or not? You see, becoming a Christian is really just a transfer of trust. Before becoming a Christian, you either trusted in yourself or someone or something else. An ideology, a person, a path, winging it. And you have serious trust issues. You come to Jesus, it's a transfer of trust. You begin to trust Jesus and take him at his word. This morning, you're hearing words from God's word. According to Jesus, you're blessed if you receive them and act on them. Not enough just to hear them. Not enough just to be hearing of God's word, but to evaluate your own life, to look in the mirror and say, God, how are my footsteps of 
faith. How am I doing with what I've trust in? The little song, trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. You know that you've received the word when it's not just something that you say you trust, but the footprints that you leave tell the story. Let me wrap up with this. We've been asking of each text, what does God do in this? Three things. Number one is that God makes and keeps his promise. God makes promises and he keeps his promises. Number two that's quite evident from this passage and others is that God requires faith. We're to walk by faith and not by sight. He's gracious to Thomas, Jesus is, and Jesus, to show him physical proof. Blessed will be those who believe without seeing these things. He requires faith. It must be for our own good. If you're in a testing season right now, look for the character and hope that will be produced from it, not the current circumstances. Finally, he tests our faith. And again, he tests our faith for our own good, for our own growth. What do we do? Number one, we trust the gospel. Verse 23, the last part of our passage says this. The words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone. That is Abraham, father of the faith, way long ago. It wasn't just written for him, catch this, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised Jesus from the dead, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. You want to hear God's redemptive plan in a very short summary verse? Look at the last couple verses of Romans chapter 4. There it is. You get stuck. What's the gospel again? What is God doing? There it is. Read the last verse of chapter 4. We not only trust the gospel, but we exercise our faith. Exercise is painful. Exercise takes some intentionality. And exercise bears fruit.